This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. Some inside the cult of William Branham do not celebrate Christmas. And this was always strange to me. We have several holidays to celebrate other men from days gone by, but the one day that so many in the world celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ is taken away from Christians. There are arguments that Christmas falls on a different day of the month, or that it descended from pagan worship from the sun god, but then the entire cult openly worshipped the sun god as the capstone of the pyramid, which was the eye of Ra, and it is a paradox. For those that did celebrate Christmas and have the fond memories of your childhood days tearing through that paper with bright-eyed excitement, picture this setting. Imagine a father who's sitting there with all of his children lined up in front of the presents. And imagine stacks of boxes that's wrapped in pretty paper with ribbons and bows and the eager children waiting to rip this open. Imagine those same children tearing through their packages. But when it came time for them to grasp the actual gift that was hidden behind the paper, the father immediately stops them. And in a harsh tone, the father says, All right, you've seen the gifts, but now you have to earn them. I will give you a set of steps to follow, and once you've completed your tasks, you may have your presence. Now, I know that some of you are thinking that this father is cruel. And many of you are picturing those same children teary-eyed with disappointed faces, their little hearts sinking to their stomach. Why? Because this is not the way that a father loves his children. A gift is a gift. It is not something to be earned. It is something that is given with love, not some achievement for hard-earned favor. A loving father would love his children with excitement to watch how happy they are to receive their gifts. It wouldn't matter what the child had done, how good or bad the child had been the day before, or even how they had behaved for the last several years. A loving father 
gives gifts because he loves the child. Yet all of the branches from the Azusa Street Revival, including the cult of William Branham, turns the greatest gift from the greatest father into an achievement that must be earned rather than a gift from the father to his children. The gift of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> I remember vividly <clears throat> watching others <clears throat> who studied this great mystery, whether or not they had received the gift of the Holy Spirit. How men and women that I'd known for years were searching to find this mystery, crying at altars like they had lost their best friends. And I'm not talking about sinners who were waiting to receive Christ into their hearts. Those people had professed Christianity and had turned their hearts over to the Lord. And they had been serving God faithfully for as long as I had known them. The Holy Spirit was a mournful thing. Since this gift was described as more of an achievement, these poor people were on pins and needles trying to decide whether or not they had achieved the gift. William Branham, he taught a, a rigid set of steps that must be followed in order to achieve this great feat. And though many are taught that this came by some divine revelation to this man who claimed to have been a prophet, <clears throat> it was no revelation. This was the same thing that was taught by those fresh from the Azusa Street. It was the thing that Charles Price taught at the church that William Branham frequented in California. It was the same thing that William Seymour taught and spread through all of the Pentecostal churches. Since 1908, the Pentecostal Holiness Church taught justification by faith, sanctification, and then baptism of the Holy Spirit. This Pentecostal root grew to its many branches, and with each growth, it pushed the Holy Spirit further and further out of reach as a more difficult achievement. The Pentecostal movement took the very ending of Mark 16, the commission from Christ, and their focal point was the signs and wonders. But when you read the entire chapter, it's very clear that the entire movement did not study the full chapter. It says this, And afterward he, Jesus, appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now notice the first half of this portion of Scripture. It is dealing with salvation before describing the gifts. Those that believe in Jesus Christ are saved. Those that do not believe will be condemned. But then the second half of this section describes the signs that follow. But just as so many other scriptures have been snipped out to focus on a single verse or phrase, this one is no different. <clears throat> so let's continue. And these signs will accompany those who believe. 
those who already believe in Christ. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they shall recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up to heaven and set down at the right hand of God. Mark 16, 14 through 19. The core of the Pentecostal movement believes that speaking in tongues is evidence of the Holy Spirit. But what about the serpents or the healing? The Branham cult believes that their prophet, their false prophet, is vindicated because of the healing. But what about the tongues or the serpents? There are several snake-handling churches in the backwoods of Kentucky and Tennessee And they believe that just because they're lucky enough to hold a snake and not be bitten, that they have evidence of the Holy Spirit. But what about the tongues or the healing? The problem is that they have woven signs into the gift. And they have turned the gift into an achievement. If you are lucky enough to get a sign, then you are lucky enough to get the gift. But not everyone is given the same gift of the Spirit. And while there are signs that Christianity is alive and real, there is absolutely no scripture that says these are signs that you have the Holy Spirit. It is ironic that the Pentecostal movement and all of its branches chose this passage to create a core of doctrinal beliefs. Most of the branches of that movement believe in either a oneness or a modalist Godhead. Yet verse 19 says that Jesus was taken up to heaven and sat at the right hand of God. If Jesus Christ of the New Testament was Jehovah of the Old Testament, like the Jehovah's Witness taught and influenced, then how can this be? Did Jesus sit at the right hand of Jesus? You'll notice that in each of the many times William Branham taught this fundamental Pentecostal doctrine, That particular verse was omitted. We can't have that verse. It conflicts with the rest of my teaching. It's interesting. To me, after having studied the Azusa Street Revival and the influence that the Pentecostals had on Christianity, many today still hang on to those beliefs, but in so many ways, the Pentecostal movement itself reminds me of the Corinthians. In Corinth, the early church was hung up on these gifts and who could perform them. Just like the Pentecostals, the Corinthians believed that the Holy Spirit was some achievement. All through his letters to Corinth, Paul was reprimanding them for allowing themselves to set up a super apostle or focusing on a gift when they should have been focusing on their love for the fellow man. And like these cults and these churches that have branched out from the Pentecostal roots, they were unsure whether or not they had received the Holy Spirit. When I left the Branham cult, my grandfather, the pastor of the Jeffersonville Branham Tabernacle, invited me to an excommunication party. I had not attended that church for quite some time, and this party did not sound like it would be any fun. When I refused, my family was threatened, making me realize that my choice in not going there was fully justified. 
But one of the things he asked me was comical. He had overheard that I was going to a Baptist church, and so he thought he would handcuff me with Scripture. He says, how do they baptize? And of course he knew that most, if not all, Baptists speak the words that Jesus commanded, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But to the oneness or the modalist Pentecostal branches, this prevents one of the steps that are required in meeting your achievements to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I use the word gift very loosely there because if you have to physically, mentally, or spiritually do anything on yourself other than simply believe that Jesus Christ is Lord to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, it can no longer be called a gift. It is an achievement. <clears throat> they take a scripture from Acts, and they take it out of context. Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now the emphasis is placed on the word spoken, rather than the confession of faith. Just because this verse says, Jesus Christ, the Pentecostals teach that you will never receive the Holy Spirit unless you use those words as an incantation. And the words are different than the words that Jesus said, Jesus Christ said in Matthew. So, as my grandfather tried to slap the spiritual handcuffs on me with this question, I asked him about those that had already received the Holy Spirit, later in the same book, Acts 10. And they wanted to be baptized as a confession of their faith. Acts 10 says this, While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift, there's that word again, the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even upon the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit as we have? Let me reread that. Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit, as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Yet, this is another verse you won't hear preached very much in these cult churches. It defies their fundamental doctrine. The Holy Spirit fell on the people by hearing the Word. Not by works, not by earning the gift, not by being baptized as a pastor spoke some incantation, they received the Holy Spirit by hearing the Word. You know, after bringing this up to him, I was a little dumbfounded. He is a pastor who for many, many years is sitting on a church on a platform as some guy in the back room presses play on the play button on a sermon from 1947 to 1965. Literally, all this man has to do in order to receive his paycheck is to read his Bible, 
and tell some guy to press the play button. But after bringing this up to him, he had no answer. And I'm not picking on my grandfather. It is not his fault. He fell into the same trap that other cult pastors fell into. They trusted this man, William Branham, to have told them the truth about their Bibles. Then all they had to do from there on out was to quote this man, William Branham, not their Bibles. It's too much work. It's much easier to quote this guy who already had the answers. And after seeing how many times that William Branham lied about his past and these supernatural stories, it's no wonder that they were led astray. If the guy could not be honest about himself, how could he possibly be honest about the Bible? If you were once enslaved by the cult of William Branham or any other branches for, that grew from this Azusa Street revival, I highly recommend that you read Paul's letters to the Corinthians. There are so many things that you'll find in there that apply to your situation. In fact, if you change the names to fit your situation, it would sound like Paul is speaking directly to you. This is the gift that the Heavenly Father said Jesus said he would send. The gift of the Holy Spirit. And it is that. It is a gift. It is for all who believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Ephesians 2.8 says this, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourself. It is the, and here's this word again, gift of God. We need to recognize that this is a gift and it is not an achievement. And the best way to do this is to read what Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12. He specifically wrote about the spiritual gifts because they had placed themselves in the same situation that we find from all of the branches that grew from the Azusa Street Revival. Listen to the beginning of 1 Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And listen to this part. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now I'd like to pause here and I'd like to compare this paragraph to the false teaching that came from the Pentecostals. The first point that Paul makes is that the Corinthians themselves were sinners. They were pagans that believed in idols, idols that could not speak. They believed that these idols were gods. To those who tried to tell others that they had not achieved the gift of the Holy Spirit, Paul reminded them that it wasn't that long ago when they served idols that could not speak at all. And the second point that Paul tries to make is that they were led. Jesus said that he was sending a helper, referring to the Holy Spirit. And there are several scriptures describing how the Holy Spirit will lead us to all truth. Paul reminds them that they do not curse the name of Jesus Christ. Nobody who has the Spirit of God can do this, and Paul reminds them of that. But in the same token, Paul says that 
No one can even say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So riddle me this. If the Pentecostals are correct, and speaking in tongues is the achievement, then are the poor followers in those Pentecostal churches cursing Jesus until they magically get this achievement? Or the Branhamites, who claim that healing was vindication of this prophet, this false prophet, yet they themselves cannot heal? Are they cursing God? Those that are stepping out into the waters of baptism, making their statement of faith in Jesus Christ by baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, do you really think that they are denying Christ by proclaiming that He is the Son of God, the one that went to the right hand of the Father, according to Mark 16? Quite frankly, these people would not darken the doors of a church unless they believed that Jesus Christ was Lord. And don't get me wrong, I am not belittling the conversion to Christ that happens once in every Christian's lifetime. Jesus said that before you save yourself, you must lose yourself. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Matthew 16, 25. After Paul reminds them that they already have the Holy Spirit, those that believe in Jesus Christ, Paul starts talking about the different gifts that are given to the church. And if you read carefully, you'll find that they are not to create divisions in the church. The gift of healing should not have separated the Branham movement from the Pentecostal root, which held fast to speaking in tongues. Both are gifts yet not everyone will receive the same gift. Paul says this, continuing, he says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is, this, it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. For to one is given through the Spirit utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gift of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, what is called discernment to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. That's coming directly from Paul. Now notice the gift of faith. This is something that is not spoken of much in any of these Pentecostal branches. How many people that you know of that have great faith in Jesus Christ, yet they feel like they have not received the gift or achievement of the Holy Spirit? Those that have been falsely taught that the Holy Spirit is some achievement. Or how many has incredible knowledge or wisdom and are falsely taught by these cult churches that you must deny your gift of 
knowledge, or wisdom in order to accept the prophet by faith? Could it be that your gift of knowledge is telling you something about the false prophet and about his many failed visions and his many false teachings? Why do they try to suppress this gift? Paul says that these gifts are from the same Spirit. These gifts, Paul declares, are given for the common good. And these gifts, by the Spirit, are for continual improvement for the church. Yet this Pentecostal root and all of its branches have somehow managed to suppress some of these gifts because the Spirit is speaking against their false teaching. The Holy Spirit is speaking to hearts and bringing their hearts closer to Christ. This is like an army facing the enemy, and the general calls out to the troops, All right, you who are not skilled in karate are not battle ready. Just because you know how to shoot a sniper's rifle or how to fly an Apache helicopter, it doesn't mean that you have received the gift of the military. Get back in there to basic training until you can chop a board in half. See how this sounds? It would cause confusion in the army, just as it has in the army of Christians that God has empowered to fight the enemy. Shouldn't we face the enemy as a finely tuned military force? Shouldn't we accept the fact that God has given certain people incredible gifts to help strengthen others and help prepare them for battle? Or are you one of these pastors from these cult churches who have taken the gun away from your troops and sent them back to basic training? The question today is, have you accepted the gift of the Holy Spirit? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Or have you been falsely taught that you had to earn this gift by receiving some spiritual gift that was intended for some other person? A gift that you may never receive from God. Worse, do you believe that you must believe in William Branham to be a prophet of God, regardless of how many failed visions, before you can even receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? Has this extra-biblical achievement been added to your long list of things that you have to do before you're even eligible for your gift? Have you, have you refused the gift of God by turning it into an achievement that you have to earn yourself? Have you taken the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross for you and rendered it useless by placing the work in your own hands? I'll let you decide. Is this a gift from God? Or is this an achievement?